This podcast was recorded live on October 28th at 10.15 p.m. Things may have changed since the time of this recording. Please enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I am some more your host, and the fellas are here for another episode of SJH Man Cave. We are live on Facebook and looking forward to another fantastic conversation. If you're watching this on Facebook, please make sure you hit that like button and share the discussion. You can also follow us at SJH Podcast Family. If you're watching us on YouTube, remember that you can see this and other videos at SJH Man Cave. Once you're there, please tap the subscribe button and hit the bell to make sure you're alerted when new videos are available. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SJH Man Cave and email us at info at SJHManCave.com. And with all that being said, let's dive right in. So brothers, how was your week? And Jason, I think I'll start with you this time. Yeah, the week is usually the same old, same old as it always is. Trying to get through another week and trying to figure out how to keep, <clears throat> to keep my feet from falling from up underneath me. But uh, more impressively, I guess, for some folks, and hopefully I can be inspirations to the masses, uh, I voted. <laughs> I went, I, I oh, went let's, out. Let, let's pause for a second. <laughs> Give this a whole round of applause. I'm sorry, brother. You know what? I need to set up a button or something where there could just be an audience screaming and a bunch of clapping going on for moments like this. You, you really deserved it. It hurts my soul. I don't have this for you right now, my brother. <laughs> That's quite all right. We'll, we'll work on the sound effects when it comes to this type of stuff. Mm-hmm. I got you. I got you. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, so I took my butt on out there with, with my wife. She she led me in the grand scheme of things. That's why I love her so much. She she leads me into the Thunderdome from time to time so I can figure it out. Uh, mm-hmm. We we went over to Brookfield and uh, – Brookfield, from what I thought, was maybe a little bit more of a liberal area. But I also have to understand that, you know, a lot of different folks get to come from different areas and vote in certain areas. And they all have their little early voting spots where they can come to. So uh, I remember we parked across the street. We, We left the kids in the car. Me and my wife, we walked over. We were putting our masks on. And it was a nice little line. Line wasn't horrible. It wasn't, uh, you know, like curled around the building or anything like that. But, you know, we had to wait a couple minutes. Uh, As I was walking up to the line, like, you notice, like, people that weren't wearing masks. You notice some people that weren't wearing masks. Uh, I think I talked to you you earlier when I said there was this air of just kind of, like, entitlement and a little bit of arrogance in the air. Now, it could have just been me. I won't front. You know, I, I just have a tendency to just kind of look at people and make judgments real quick or just assume things. Mm-hmm. But uh, just from the attitudes and just from kind of the, the looks that me and my wife got, because when we went there, we were the only black people in line, number one. Absolutely. So I was actually very surprised by that. And it's not to say there were any other nationalities or anything like that. There were plenty of other folks there, but we were the only black people in line. So, you know, when I sit in the line and I'm talking to my wife, I have a tendency to kind of be a little, you know, I get a little loud sometimes. I, I, I like to just break the ice and make stuff, you know, a little less uncomfortable. You know, say some jokes and stuff, say some, some weird things and stuff every now and again. So, you know, I'm talking to my wife and I'm telling her a few jokes and stuff while we stand in line. I ain't said nothing crazy, Hudson. It's, it's okay. 
I wasn't trying to incite no riots or nothing like that. I was just talking mess, trying to see who I can get to laugh. And, you know, like every now and again, somebody would kind of turn around and kind of look at me like, close your mouth. <laughs> we already know what you're here for. Like, well, first of all, like, I, I wanted to honestly stand up on the pedestals. Like, first of all, this is the first time I've been voting in about 20 years. So y'all get up off my back about it. Don't be assuming who I'm coming in here to vote for. You don't know. You don't know what I'm doing. Don't be judging me. I'm <laughs> Trump getting elected. I'm with y'all. Hey, you never know. Shit, I might be rich. You don't know. <laughs> y'all ain't never seen me before. Yeah, I'm out here in these sweatpants and this and this green white sock sweater. So what? You don't know what I'm on. <laughs> So, you know, we finally got inside. They had the whole social distancing thing, which some people were following and then some weren't. And it was just kind of like, okay, well, you could tell from the people who were working the polls and stuff, like they just didn't want that argument. They just made sure that their masks and stuff were where they needed to be. So, you know, like it was a few of them. It was only like maybe three of them working at the table that were kind of checking people in. And it was this one older lady who was kind of like pointing people to what, a little, what booth they go to where they should sit and wait. So I get up there to get registered, and it's the only sister that's working in there. She's cool as hell. First thing, I'm like, hey, how you doing, sweet? How you doing, sister? How you doing today, man? Over here working on this wonderful day, trying to get all these votes and stuff in. And she's like, oh, well, shoot. Kind of made her a little happy because the first thing that she had in front of it, she didn't look like she was having a whole lot of fun. I don't expect people working polls or working them type of things when I really have a lot of fun. So I, I like to encourage people to, you know, let me let me be that one person who kind of lifts your spirits in the middle of a horrible day. Yeah, I appreciate it when I get it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she looked me up and she's like, oh, well, looks like somebody hasn't voted in a while. I'm like, first of all, <laughs> first of all, <laughs> damn, first of all, first of all, you kind of loud with my information up here. <laughs> Second of all, no. I'm here. That's all that count. We don't need to be throwing no, 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 out without it being in the past. It's not all that counts. I appreciate that, sister. Let you know you need to be performing your civic duty on a regular basis, brother. Amen. Ain't made no difference. It ain't gonna make no difference today. I don't believe that. But anyway. <laughs> So she calls me out. She gives me my little card. You know, I go over to, I go and sit down and wait for one of the little booze to open up. And like I told you, like, it's been a while since I went and voted. When last time I voted, you know, it was the little, the little pen with the little hole punch things and whatnot. I got around oh, wow. to the booth. I'm like, oh, it's a printer. It's a little touch screen thing. I'm like, ooh. I Man. felt all like, oh, like we live in the modern world. Okay. So the last time you coded, the CTA used to give out them slips of paper and punch the holes to give you the transfer. I didn't have a hole puncher, no. I had a pen where I had to poke a hole through who I wanted to vote for. That's what I had. That was the last time I voted. Yeah, token. Now, now on my defense, I... There is no defense. Don't be doing it. In my defense, I heard that they do still have some of those in certain places. I just happen to be in Brookfield where apparently they could afford to have touch screens brought out and printers. Yeah, they got those in certain places in America. They don't have drinking water in them places either. Yeah, right. well, hey. <laughs> All right, they, they still got outhouses hey, but that, where people need to use the bathroom in them places. <laughs> hey, but that don't say that they're not using them then, ain't they? They, they still here. All right? I might be old and might be wow. out of it, but that's okay. 
Wow, Jason. So I got there, and I, you know, I did the little touch screen, put my little card in, and went through and stuff. And like I was telling y'all before, like I, I, I felt uncomfortable the first time I voted because I just went in and it was just, you know, punching holes for people who I just didn't know. So I went in intentionally, like you know what, I'm not doing it this time. Hit the few people and whatnot that I knew about that one little amendment they had, and then I shot right on through, like skip, 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 skip. All I saw was a bunch of yeses and people who wasn't getting ran against anyway. So I'm like, I'm not giving you, I don't know who you are. So I just skipped right. right on through. I got to the end. And then they pull out this whole, this, this big blip. Like, you you have errors in yours. I ain't got no damn it. Print. Print. I'm done. I don't give a damn about no errors. <laughs> Print the thing wow. out. Looked at it. Was like, okay. Took it over to the dude with, with, who, who, I guess he's like the guardian of the voting box. Like, I. It's a garbage can with a little hole in it, a little slit. And he's got to, like, put his – I don't know what the hell was going on. I'm just like, take this paper so I can get on up out of here. I have to, I have to uh, scan your code. I have to put my initials on your paper. I'm like, first of all, I don't want you touching my paper. Why Why your initials got to be on my paper? <laughs> that kind of make me feel a little weird about this. Like, I don't know who you are. You're just some young white dude standing next to this garbage can with the slit and talking about somebody need to sign your paper. You got some bro. credentials or something? Is this your <laughs> official job? Your you... vote gets counted, brother. Hey, look, man. I don't know. I don't know. I ain't been alone. Last time I went, one no one no garbage can with a slit in it, okay? I just handed my stuff to somebody and went on about my business. I was a little nervous. I didn't know what was going on. He could have been a he could have been a Trump spy. They everywhere. They in the Trump CDC. Spy. They everywhere. <laughs> So I, I slid my little paper in the little slot to the garbage can and whatnot. Buddy was like, hey, here's your sticker. You voted. It's like, all right. I looked at the sticker. I was a little disappointed. Like, this sticker needs a little bit more flash to it. Yeah, I voted, but I mean, I ain't voted in 20 years. Shouldn't I have, like, a gold one or something? Like, no, you should just vote more often, and then you won't expect a flashy sticker. All right, you should not expect to get a bunch of pizzazz. I think if you expect people to come me. back and vote on a regular basis, you need to acknowledge the fact that they had fears for a certain amount of years and and, nah. and, and scrounged up the courage to come out and do it. I think you need to acknowledge those people so they come back again. That's what I think. Nah, son. What nah, courage son. did you need to it's come cool, out what what were you scared? <laughs> what what is this courage? Well, I'm not saying me personally. I'm not saying Trump ninjas was gonna jump out the bushes and chop them down. Hey man, they got places out here with folks standing out in front with guns and all kind of stuff. You know, I think they're courageous to go out there and exercise their vote. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that I personally was scared. I'm just saying that you know, but it took a lot for me to scare? come out there and do what I did. Hey, I was, I was, I was, I was the man. I, you know, I was, I wasn't scared of anything. I voted. Hey, Give me that stick. I just wanted somebody to acknowledge the fact that I came out there after a certain amount of years. <laughs> I expected something more than this little funky sticker. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Anyway, I got my sticker. <laughs> you went to the wrong place. That's all. You could have got a pen. I want. <laughs> I did my vote. I went on out the building, talked about it with the wife, how I felt about it. You know, I felt I felt all right, you know. I I ain't necessarily in, in into it with who I voted for or whatnot, but you know, I mean, I understand what the greater good is all about and hopefully it all works out that way. Otherwise, you know, voting was meh. 
Another experience on the week. I might try it again someday. I guess we're gonna have to vote in some more folks for the Senate and the House at some point in time. So we'll see how that works out. You know, I knew the social distancing. I knew the social distancing thing was gonna be a problem. You know, because when I, I I voted during the primary, right, and this is when COVID was just like getting off the ground and being, you know, where people were starting to okay, you got to wear a mask or you don't have to wear a mask, like in the early goings, and we went to vote for the primary, and we're in there is it's all these old people who who's running the thing, and this is when the mask. Some masks was on their faces. Some was over their nose, but not their mouth. Some was under their chin. You had some that was on top of their heads. You know, you had just mask everywhere. And then they had all this chicken there, which was really disconcerting to me. They they walking around with all these greasy fingers, and they're just eating chicken. And they're giving me, they're giving us these ballots, and all you hear. Mwah, mwah. Hold on, let me give you this ballot. And they gotta give you this ballot with like two tiny fingers because they can't they can't touch it with their chicken grease fingers. Like they ain't got no napkins, nothing. Somebody just coming with chicken. Where did you go? They ain't no <laughs> Where did you see the eating chicken handing out ballots? <laughs> Where were you? A KFC? <laughs> No, it was in a polling place in a school. And we're in there. And I'm just, I'm really thrown off by this because I got my mask on because, you know, I wasn't playing in the early goings of this whole thing. I had my mask on. I was good. But they just got all this chicken everywhere. And like I said, there's no sides. They're just eating chicken and and just handing out ballots, this, that, the other. And they're touching all the stuff, like they're touching they're touching all, everything, the machines, all that. And two of the machines were down. And I figure it's because they got chicken grease all up in them. Like, they're giving chicken to some of the people who's coming by. So, you know, like, stuff is getting messed up with all this chicken. Anyway, uh, social distancing and all that. So there was no social distancing. No, no. But, again, this was in the early going. So, and it was just a bunch of old people who I guess is up there like, hey, if, uh, you know, I'm going to die from something. You know, it could be this COVID. It could be it could be whatever, you know. So they didn't seem to care. Like I said, there were masks on ears. I mean, on arms. They, they just they didn't care. <laughs> so, so. Wait, so they were like handing chicken out with the ballots, or I don't. I'm I'm so confused on where this chicken came from. They were like the, the the polling people who was running the poll had like chicken. I'm assuming for their lunches or something like that. I find it interesting that you took time out to find out whether or not they had sides or not, but oh, well, you not, not necessarily one I noticed. The, all the, that's like boxes of chicken just hanging out. There's no, like, there's nothing to go with them. It's just chicken. So, I mean, it was easy to see. There's no mashed potatoes. There's no green beans. There's no fries. There's nothing. There's no macaronis. Nothing. It's there's that flair you were looking for, Jason. Exactly. Is you the know, chicken the flair? <laughs> yeah. Hey, you came in, you voted, you showed all that courage. Get you some chicken. And somebody's going to hand me, like, a piece of chicken. I, I personally would have called racism and blown the place up. I was in Brookfield. If if one of them white people handed me a piece of chicken, that place would have burned. I'm sorry. I would have called every black person I know. You know they over here handing out chicken to niggas? <laughs> over here voting? This is what they do in Brookfield? Oh, Doc. 
That has set no, me back a couple of years right there. there. Yeah, just like a, a casserole or something, or uh, you know, or or uh, some meatloaf, maybe uh, something like that. <laughs> it wouldn't have been chicken if you was out there, probably. You know, but <laughs> out, out where I'm at, some of that raisin potato salad, some suburban <laughs> dish. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it wouldn't be so, chicken. So, It'd be like a green taco beans or something. It. So there's always green beans somewhere in there. You know, so it's something something with wow. that mixed in. <laughs> All right. That's all. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you, Jason. Yeah, yeah, no I'm problem. You took the time to do that, brother. <laughs> Up to you as well. Um, and I look forward to going through it um, this upcoming Friday. So for me and uh, my week, I finally, so I, I've talked before on the show about my experience trying to start up this block club, right? And finally came to the conclusion, uh, progression in this matter is not going to come from relations with the police or with the Alderman's office, really. It's got to start with connecting with other block clubs in the area and then pulling our knowledge and resources and trying to figure out, you know, what are we going to do within the city and how can we start attacking, you know, some of the problems um, that we're seeing. Speaking of which, I posted a flyer on my Facebook for anybody who's listening to the show that's going to be in Lawndale this Sunday. We're doing a walk. They're trying to, um, it's really organized around men, but everyone, women and children are welcome to come. And it's about trying to uh, walk for about an hour um, for the youth to let the youth know that there are people in the community that really care about them, that um, want to stay. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> that want to stand up for them. <laughs> for, for for those looking, I've, I've asked us before. Don't be opening them damn cans. While we're, while we're doing the live show, I've got to cut that noise out of the damn pocket. your ass beforehand. No, I'm good. <laughs> he had a very dismissive face when I said it, too. I noticed that. Like, I, I know you're talking about me, nigga. But he had just opened the can, so I was like, all right, we good. It's not going to be a problem. Here we are 15 minutes into the I tried to uh, hold it too, Jack. I, yeah. <laughs> oh, be, uh, marching on the uh, members of the community coming out, letting the youth know that hey, we uh, we are concerned, we're empathetic to the things that are going on, and you can look to people involved in this uh, event and involved in the groups that have put the event together, you can look to us for people who are willing to stand up, help you, and try to be a positive force within the community. So if you're able to be in the Lawndale area during that time frame, we would definitely love and appreciate the support. Is that your block club that's organized that, or is that just like a community nope. effort type deal? Nope. It's, it's uh, about a dozen different organizations that all are involved in the Lawndale West Side area of Chicago okay. who have kind of come together. I haven't even been a part of the planning meetings for this. Um, I'm just a strictly just a concerned just member of the community. Yep, just a concerned member of the community who appreciates what's being done and wants to do my part to help make it successful. That's what's it. Um, so, 
So, out of what's going on with the Block Club, though, I've finally been able to get in contact with a couple of other people who are Block Club presidents within Chicago and try to trade information back and forth about uh, what we can do. And it's just, you know, how do I, how I put it? Mm-mm. It, um... It, reinf- it reinforces that feeling that so many people are determined to believe things will never change. Mm. That it's like even the folks who are involved in the work, <laughs> you know, it's one thing for to be a person who's sitting on the sidelines and believe that things will never change. But to see someone who, hey, you're block club leader, you're having the meetings, you're involved, you're, you know, speaking to citizens, you're Try to do your part, but at the exact same time, no real belief that anything that you're doing or that uh, other people are doing is going to bring about any real change. You know, we've talked before about Chicago tearing down the projects Mm. and flooding people who have, you know, we're all black, but we have a totally different culture, totally different way of life, totally different way of looking at life. And, you know, you flooded people who have had this different culture out throughout the city and it's caused, you know, chaos. It's caused violence. It's caused uh, uh, a lot of, a lot of crime and despair in areas that, you know, were not necessarily great before that happened, but it was calm. There was a, there was code, there was a system. People cared about each other more. Mm. And, you know, the, the people that I've talked to, they've talked a lot about that. A lot about feeling like that that moment in history is a major reason why we can't come together as a community, why black people, you know, in, in Chicago, they don't seem to care about each other and don't seem to respect each other and don't see, you know, kinship and another black man or another black woman. And there's just a real lack of hope that these are problems that can be overcome. You know, and so, I don't know. I, I guess I brought this up because I'm, my, my past week, I've been thinking a lot about not just how do we continue to connect with these people and network with them and work with them, but also how do you give people more more hope that there's a possibility for change because despair funnels down and funnels to everybody else. People can feel it when you don't really believe in what you're doing, when you don't really believe that it's going to cause any sort of change. Mm-hmm. And it makes other people less willing to want to get involved and want to try to, you know, participate in things that are necessary for us to turn this around. You know, I, I have been looking at this really from the standpoint of the work. You know, we need to shake hands, talk to people, network, make plans, collaborate with our political representatives, and then push for change. But I haven't really thought about, you know, trying to motivate and inspire people necessarily. You know, that that wasn't really part of the game plan. And these discussions have really made me feel like that's actually going to be part of what's necessary because... Folks are so entrenched in the idea that Chicago and this violence and what we're experiencing here is always going to be the same. And so, yeah, 
I don't, I, I don't have any real answers, you know, but that's been what's on, on my mind this past week, so I thought I'd share it. Well, it sounds like you unfortunately ran into a lot of folks or whatnot who have just been defeated. Like, just that mentality in itself can be detrimental. I know it. I know it firsthand. I, I know what it is to feel defeated, especially when you're trying real hard to do something and you feel like you're, you're, you're making choices that are the right choices. You're making moves that are the right moves. And then when you don't see a product of it or if you don't see, you don't see something that you're doing doesn't change anything, it's, it's defeating. It, it, it's, unfortunately, you got a lot of people who've given up. I know I talk, I talk mad jack real day. Real quick, I I talk, I talk a lot of crap. I know how I am, and I know how I react to situations that you see in the news. And I've talked about this before, and when I when it is where I where I lead with my emotions the majority of the time, instead of kind of leading with my thoughts after actually examining things and stuff. I've been one of them folks who say lock them up. I've been one of them people who say, you know, hey, some things just ain't forgivable. And, you know, it's it's rough because, you know, some things aren't. But at the same time, it's like you guys have we've always had the conversations that this this mentality, this this aggressive nature, this this way that our people seem to kind of perceive life wasn't something that we were all born with. We've all we, we've learned this. This is just a big learned thing. It's 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 been embedded in us for decades now. I mean, at one point in time, even though we had so much against us, we we were together at one point. You know what I mean? We we were all making differences in our communities. We watched out for one another, and they found a way to come in and invade and destroy that in us. Uh, most folks will say it was when they when they introduced crack into you know, the population or when they started bringing guns in because, you know, what, no black folks bringing guns and drugs in. So, <laughs> you know, we, we, we've, we've been in this long process of being separated from one another. We're, we're all alone. Like most of us seem to be trying to make differences, which I can probably think you felt is like, man, you felt like you were in this alone, even when talking with people who have tried to do it. Like you think you were going to jump on the phone and have a great conversation with some people who are pushing for something good, but I don't think you got what you were looking for. So in, in, even in that same right, even with the defeated attitude, even with that, just that lonely feeling, just that, that lone, I'm the only one that's trying. I'm the only one who's still in the fight. Like that's hard, man. And I get it. And it's just like you say, there's there's no direct answer to fixing any of this. It's not because it wasn't it wasn't a quick answer to destroy it. You know what I mean? It it, it was it wasn't a quick thing on how the government and white people came in and destroyed the black community. You know, even with the systematic racism and then we we fought through that. We did, and we did it together for a long time. And they came in and they just systematically destroyed us. And at the same time, made us all feel like we were all alone. So it's like, it's like somewhere trying to convince people that you're not alone in this feeling. Or even the people who seem to be the ones who want to be the ones who are causing the problems. Like, 
these people are alone for some reason. They feel like they don't have any other choice but to do the things that they do. And it, we, we talk about education, we talk about employment, we talk about finances and everything else, but on a subconscious level, it seems like the work has to begin there. And that's definitely not a quick fix at all. Like, people have been hurt. Like, it's embedded, like, pain. And it's, 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 it, there's, there's no quick answer to that. So you, you just got to, as, as defeated as some people can be, and as hard as it is to keep going when you see people who have tried and either have given up or just don't put in that much effort, the only way you can inspire people is to keep going. You got to keep pushing, even when it hurts you the most. And some folks have it in them and some people don't. And it sucks. And I wish that we could find a way to support those people without just saying, you know, I support you. If there was a way to just, you know, like help uplift people who are at least trying, I know I'd love to. So I, I know what your attitude is, and I'm with you all day. Now, I don't know if I'm going to walk through Longdale with you, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm uh you know, I'm with you hundred percent. And any way that you feel that you need me to help you out, you know I will all day long. And I think if more of us come together and we just find a way to kind of uplift those who want to make a change, like to 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 we, we got leaders out here who don't necessarily have the courage to lead. And if we offer that support. You know, if we can give them that push that they need to be those leaders that we need, I think that would be a pretty good start. Well, that's the interesting thing that's come out of these conversations. It's obvious that there are only about two or three other really functioning block clubs that are around me. So I think the our first step is really reaching out to the community to make to ensure we have a clear understanding of what the community feels like the real problems are and what they want to see addressed. But then the next, and then the next step is making sure that we have connected with the block clubs that are functioning around us. But right after that, the next step has to be reaching out to those blocks where there are not already block clubs and figuring out if there are people there willing to band together and create those clubs so we can start put in together organization in places where there currently is not. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, see the answer, the answer to me is, is, is an easy answer right now enacting that answer and, and doing the work behind that answer is going to be difficult and, and a task, but the answer is, and always has been, um, uh, people need a vision. They need a vision. And, and what and what good leaders do is they, they get you to visualize the end game, the end result, right? And they make you see that that vision, that end result is attainable. They make you see how the task that you, the work that you put in leads to that end result. You know, I, I say it's just like children who have a hard time in school or who get lost to the streets. Nine times out of ten, those children lack a vision. They lack a vision beyond their street corner, right? So if if you get and adults are nothing but bigger kids, you know, adults are adults. Their thinking doesn't really change. The major things about their personalities don't really change, right? They just 
learn different ways to express it. That's all they do when they get older. So really, it's the same thing. They can't see beyond next week. So we're talking about things that's going to take more than next week. And, and they don't have a clear vision of that. We're all working till Friday. We're all working till Friday. And then we get to the weekend and we, we're, we're trying to, and then from the weekend, we're working till Monday again. Right. And that's what all our weeks are set up for, you know, unless you're rich, unless you have that kind of privilege to, to not have to look from Friday to Friday to Friday, like the, like most of us have to do. So it's hard for us to see beyond that. You know, if, if you want to make an impact in the block cut, one of the things I would think about is, is, is uh, get somebody who can do a model of, of your block. Get someone who can do a model and, and take that block and transform it. Somebody with a vision of what that block could look like, you know, with, with little figurines of children playing out in the, maybe a pickup game out in the street of football or something like that, you know, something with, with, with nice, lavish trees, with, with no homes that are discarded and just broken down. So, you know, show, show them a north side neighborhood that could be on the south side and, and just and, and try to show them that, that we have this and show them that there could be some quick, simple changes that can make this happen, right? So they leaders show a vision and they, and they get you to buy into that vision. Right. And that's what that's all they do. It's what Martin Luther King Jr. did. You know, that mountaintop, you know, he made you visualize that, you know, and, that, and that's what the great leaders are able to do. And when they do that, you know, people will move mountains for you. You don't have to do the work yourself if, if you're able to do that. Right. And, and then and then the best leaders. They show you that vision, get you to do all that work, and they step right in there and work with you, right? So, so that's the answer. You gotta, you gotta show them. My my old high school principal, God rest her soul, she she passed uh, uh, so a few months back, right? Um, she showed a vision to all her students that they could go to college. That was her vision that she showed, and, and she did this by the school itself was inside of a college, right? She took us on, on, on many, on, on each year, there was a college tour and she made sure that students who did not have the money to participate, she would raise money to make sure those kids could go on that college tour, right? She, she took them to, to Paris, to New York, to Mexico. She, she took them to all these different places and showed people the world. She made you visualize. She she made she did it in a way that was concrete that you could actually go and touch it. She made that available to her students, and that's how she showed that vision, right? There's other ways to do it, but that's the way she did it. And guess what? She was successful. You know, and and a lot of students, they haven't been students of hers for for twenty thirty years. Sing her praises because of that kind of work that she did. So. The answer to me is simple. You get, get them to see your vision. If you can show them that, if you can get them to visualize that, you know, then they'll work for the greater good. Even if they know they might not be around to see that vision come into fruition. 
you know, it's interesting that you, that you put it like that because that's always the way I, I approach the, these types of situations when I'm dealing with someone who's younger than me. So especially when I'm talking with, you know, kids going through high school or even, you know, kids who are going through college and trying to figure out what degree should I pick, things of that nature. I try to paint a picture of this is what your life can be like if you go through these steps. You know, here's what your the end goal that I know you want to achieve. Let me explain to you why these steps are helping you actually reach it. It's different for me dealing with, you know, most of the people that I'm going to be trying to collaborate with now are older than me. And when I say older than me, I mean like, you know, some of them are like 20, 30 years older than me. And so it feels, I know it feels different trying to provide a vision for someone who's twice your age, you know? <laughs> it's it's like, it's it's a it's a different way of, of thinking and trying to approach a situation. But I, I think I agree with you that that's pretty much what it's going to take. Because older than me or, or not, I have a lot of confidence and belief that if we work together and band together and address these issues, they are fixable. They can be changed and they can be changed within our lifetimes. Whereas I think a lot of the people around me who are already involved in the work don't actually believe that anymore. So. Hmm. Rough times. Yeah. So we ain't got no choice but to get better. We can't hit, we can't keep hitting rock bottom all day long. Come on now. Shoot. <laughs> get Go plant a tree know. or something. Put up some and that little <laughs> model that you make them make, make sure they shoot up some bulletproof glass in the middle of where them kids is out there playing. Though. Make sure they put that in the model so they can wow. the blocks don't change too quick. You gotta make sure. <laughs> I, I I'll do what I can, Jason. I'll do what I can. <laughs> Hudson. How was your week, man? Oh shoot, man! Look, I, uh, I, uh, so the other, day, so you know, here's my problem, right? You know, we we decide here in in, in the Meadows household, right? We're gonna we're gonna start making sure that each meal has either a vegetable or a fruit attached to it. But here's the problem, right? It, it's not it's it's not the 20s or the 30s anymore. You know, the, the stuff we eat, vegetables and fruits don't really go with them. Like, you know, it, it's if we're having like a roast, you know, you get carrots and all that with it. You have meatloaf, you know. Uh, you know, that's where these mixed vegetables come from because they go good with a meatloaf or, or peas or whatever. But in the stuff we eat today, we don't really, who sits down and makes a roast anymore, right? It, it's like a weekend thing at the most, really. You know, we're all working. So, you know, I'm supposed to. My wife well, made one yesterday. What am I, you know. Sorry. I... <laughs> look here, what am I supposed to have, like, if I have a cheeseburger, right? Uh, you know, I make a turkey burger. Well, my God, I was a, a turkey burger and these broccoli spears, you know, a turkey burger with, with these uh, mixed, vegetables, right? Let me get this apple with this uh, <laughs> with this slice of pizza. I mean, what? I mean, with the food we eat, what the fruits and vegetables really are a snack. Like you get you get apple slices with like 
a, a cheese and cracker plate or something. You know, you're having a snack, you you put down the side. So I have issues with this. And but you know, my girl, she's you know, my wife, she's hardcore. Like if you if this is what we doing, then this is what we doing. And and you know, I could try all day to be like I wear the pants around here. She's, you know, she, I mean, she ain't honoring that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she just told me. <laughs> so, so the other day, I'm I'm making grilled cheeses, right? And you know, I decided to put an egg on my grilled cheese or whatever, right? And you know, she we're talking about what we gonna have with it. I'm like, you know, I'm have some chips with it or something. She like, you know. Now, I got to think fast and talk fast. You know, this is the only way to make this work, right? Because I always, I try to, wherever she come at me with something, I try to, like, I try to, like, throw it off onto something else real quick, right? And I'm thinking on my feet, so it don't always, you know, it don't always work. But really, the whole goal is just to confuse her until she forget about it. So she come at me, she like, okay, you need to have, you need to have a fruit with this sandwich or whatever, I'm sitting there like, but I got an egg on there. And, and she look at me, she like, she like, the first day I see like, what the fucking egg got to do with you putting the fruit with it? I'm like, I'm like, I'm saying though, I'm about to have these chips. And so she like, she like, stop playing with me. Get some damn fruit out the refrigerator and have it with that shit. So, so I go in, right? And, and we got a bunch of grapes, like we got an obscene amount of grapes, right? And here's what happened. We put in an order for grapes because we, we not, you know, we try not to go out and shop with this pandemic. So we try to order all the time as much as we can. So, but it ain't always accurate. So I ordered three pounds of grapes, three pounds, right? So, so the person who, who shopped it for us decided that I wanted three bags of grapes. So as I'm unloading the groceries into the fridge, I'm running out of room and I'm pulling out endless grapes. Like, it's all these damn grapes. And instead of three pounds, I ended up more like nine pounds. I got nine or ten pounds of grapes sitting in my fridge right now. So there's grapes for date. I've been eating grapes for four days right now. And there's no end in sight to these grapes. And I have to have a fruit with every meal. These grapes are about to go bad. So now I'm just eating grapes all day, every day, with every day I'm eating. It don't matter what I'm having. I had pizza today. It's grapes. I had grilled cheese the other day. It's grapes. You know, uh, I get oatmeal in the morning. It's grapes. You know, grits and sausage. Add them grapes to it. You know, it's like I just need to put bowls of grapes out just wherever you go. Just get some grapes. Get some, y'all, y'all niggas need to come over and get some grapes. You know, because it's, it's too many. Hey, hey, hey. And, hey. Yeah. Is it, your wife under the impression that this is a healthier uh, lifestyle? That if you have fruit more often? Yeah, well, it's healthier? Here, here's here, and this is both our philosophies is that uh, a fruit is better than not a fruit, a vegetable is better than not a vegetable. Um, and it's a start, you know, um, but typically we don't, we don't, honestly, we don't eat that bad, really. I mean, we, we don't really eat a whole lot of beef, you know, we don't really have that. 
we don't really have a, um, our meats consist of chicken really and turkey that, that's our meats really um every once in a while we'll we'll have like a a, a beef roast or something like that we don't fry anything, you know, so everything's baked, you know, unless we do do a burger here and there. But other than that, you know, so it's not like really our meals are, are healthy. Our biggest problem over here is that, that like, the kids, we feed them all day long. Like, they're, they're, they're eating machines. So, you know, constantly we're turning out food for them. But for us, we, we'll tend to skip meals is our biggest problem. And we're skipping them because, you know, we're turning out food for them. And by the time I finish feeding them, by the day, they take so long to eat, they hungry all over again. It's like, gosh, I just fed you. What, what are you coming for some more food? <laughs> you sat there. What What do you want? We're running out of stuff. What, <laughs> you know, you want this pack of crackers? Eating me out of house at home. So... You know, but Sound that, like you need to put them on them grapes, son. Oh, they they been eating grapes too. Like you, like the, like the littlest one. I have to cut them in half. I have never cut a grape in half before, so I cut them in half for her to eat. And it's the funniest thing. For what reason? It's easier. They can choke on them. Now, how? how do you choke on a grape? A little kid. A little that was kid. actually a. Can they can choke on a little great the little skin sometimes a little tough for them if they don't know how to handle it and haven't so, really experienced it. I thought you was making I'm champions over there, dude. You worried about grape skins? Nah. Nah, Hold for on, real. for real, for real. Samantha wouldn't allow Simone to eat grapes. Um, in fact, Samantha did not give Simone her first grape. I think it was the pastor's family. We were at the pastor's house and they gave her a grape. Finally, but when Simone was like one, a little baby died um, from being given a, a grape. Well, you don't and give a why would you give a baby a grape? That well, don't I make mean, sense. I, I mean, baby like toddler, not like baby baby. But I, but I, how old is toddler? Did the nigga have teeth? <laughs> My understanding is he, he did have teeth. Say, how long um, had he been eating solid food? That's my question. <laughs> <laughs> they can They have to build up to it, bro. You know what? I don't blame Hudson for this. I don't think this is an exception to the whole. Y'all, y'all, them young fathers. I guess I, I got old ones. They've been eating grapes since I've been eating grapes. So it was <laughs> Jada had Jada had a damn White Castle burger when she was one. So I, pff, I grapes ain't no problem over here. Yeah, we chew uh, a White Castle I burger. I teach them to chew. Then, then I mean that's that's something a little bit different than a grape. It, the 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 reasoning behind the grape parsley is the skin, the outer skin that's on it. And I'm not willing to I'm not willing to peel them. I'm not going to sit and peel grapes. So, <laughs> so the, the best the best of this girl was to cut it in half. That makes it a little easier for her to, and it also makes sure she don't try to swallow the doggone thing whole. Because she still likes to try to think. I'm not much of a great peeler either. Yeah, it's not. So, so for me, and it's funny watching her with it. I apologize. Because she, because she, now she, she, I gave her four halves of it. And she immediately pits three of them and just slings them to the floor. Like she launches them. I told you, she's like a little quarterback. So she launches these things Mm -hmm. clear across the room off of that. Get rid of those right away. 
She takes the fourth one and examines it. I, I, I kid you not for like 20 minutes before she finally takes a bite of it. She takes it. She bounces it up and down like it's a basketball on her, or, which is disappointing because, you know, it's a half a grape, so sometimes it just flops. <laughs> so she squeezes it a little, yeah. to get a little bit of the juice, and so she's licking the juice off and she's squeezing it a little bit. And after about 20 minutes, she's like, okay, I can take a bite of this. She takes a bite, right? But she only bites a little piece, and so she's getting more skin than she is the actual grape. So she said, nuts to this, launched it clear across the room. And I said, well, hey, hey. I, guess, hey. I guess I am going to have to peel them if I want to have a grape. <laughs> so she's off grapes now. Uh, I ain't peeling grapes. I, I bought a line somewhere. I ain't peeling them. But yeah, dude, I don't, I don't give her, I give her, I don't. If I give her some apple, it's got to be the meat part. I, I don't give her apple with skin on it because, again, that skin, it, it'll give her trouble or something. So so anything with the skin is really the issue. It's not so much like a White Castle burger. She could probably take down and be fine. But, you know, I, I just don't well, I apologize, it. sir. And I don't mean to seem – I don't mean to be cynical about your fathering skills. I'm glad you're very aware of your children and how you take care. It was just one of the things I never had to worry about. My my kids, when they ate, they ate. They chewed the hell out of shit. Hell, I'd, I'd lose a finger and shit if I got too damn close. So, I yeah, I wasn't ever worried about them choking on nothing. That's for damn sure. If they were choking, if anything, I just had to tell the ass to slow down. <laughs> so, it's not going anywhere. The food is in front of you. The chicken isn't moving. Right. Oh, I, say, I, I We used to throw full-bone chicken legs in front of our daughter and the, and the boy. They they murder stuff like shit. Junior is eating like thighs and shit now, which blew my fucking mind. Like, wow, I I I didn't see this coming. Like, yeah, Junior wants some thighs for his dinner. Like, shit, I ain't started eating thighs until I was a grown ass man. How that work? But yeah, yeah, I, I got nice. big kids. They they come from they got big genes and they get it honestly. So I I don't worry about their chewing. <laughs> awesome. Well. Thank you, brothers. I appreciate it hearing about your week. And now let's move on to our main list of topics, starting with uh, Jamil Hill. This actually happened last week on Wednesday, but I didn't have enough information about it to really add it as a topic on the show. So we're covering it this week instead. So sorry, I know we're a little behind, but I thought this might be an interesting conversation. So I still want to bring it up. Jamil Hill put out a tweet saying, I have increasingly found that many black men just want better access to patriarchy. They don't actually want it to be dismantled, right? Now this caused a whole wave of anger towards her and it started up a hashtag blame black men where a bunch of people were sarcastically posting memes basically saying all the ills of the world were because of black men calling out Jamil Hill and other people, both male and female, that folks felt like always try to put down black men and say that black men are not doing their part to try to make the world a better place. You know, for those who are listening who might not uh, know the definition of patriarchy, patriarchy is defined as 
a system of society or government in which the father or eldest male is head of the family and descent is traced through the male line. So basically what she's saying is he feels like a lot of black men um, are perfectly fine with the, a system that he holds black women down, ensures they make uh, less wages than other men, you know, th things of that nature. And the ceiling that they want to see broken is just the ceiling for, you know, men, for black men to be able to rise, but keep women in the position that they are currently in. And so I was curious, you know, what are you all's perspectives? Hudson, do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, I mean, I think she got a point, you know, I mean, it, you know, I, I think, I think uh, we as a whole, we tend to, we, we don't collaborate well with others, you know, and, and let, let's, let's just talk about the, the black movement in general. Um, we, we don't want to align with any other group because it becomes a, uh, it becomes a, a competition as to who has been held down the most instead of a, hey, we need to all come together and tear this down. And as far as tearing down, no, I, I don't I don't see much where where there's been a whole lot of talk of, of tearing down patriarchy at all. So I, I haven't seen any any real talks of tearing that system down. And I don't think people really have the imagination to tear it down because I'm not sure they see that as a problem. Um, you know, on the surface, I mean, we still use patriarchy and matriarchy as a, within our families all the time. You know, it, it's people always talk about it. Hey, you know, that's bit mama. She the matriarch of the family. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they still talk about a lot of those traditional roles like that. Um, but and I, and I'm not sure they're really taking it. Um, I'm not really sure they're seeing it as a problem. So if you don't see it as a problem, it's not something you're really concentrating on, right? Um, so I, I think she's got a great point, um, and and of course it was going to meet a lot of meet a lot of controversy. But I think it's something that that we should look at, and I think we need to start aligning with other groups who are disenfranchised. You know, just because their struggle might not be ours specifically. Does it mean that we, you know, it's like I said before, unions come together with other unions all the time to try to help their cause and say, okay, we're going to strike. Well, the union plant workers over here of 54 who, who, who uh, repair typewriters, if we strike, they're going to strike too, <laughs> right? So, so again, we need to get together with, with our black women. We need to get together with the Hispanic population. We need to get together with gay and lesbian and, and the LGB. I'm sorry, there's too many letters now. I can't keep track of the letters. Mm -hmm. LGBTQ plus. There you go. We need to get with all these communities who who have problems with equality, and we need to all come together and realize equality is equality, right? And and let's stop doing the uh, like I said. Let's stop doing the competitions. But stop doing the competitions and say we're being held down the most, so ours should be first. How about we all go in together collectively and say all this needs to change? All of it does, and we need to find a better way. 
That's my that's my thought. Jason, any thoughts? I'll be honest with you. I never thought about it like that. Like it's, it's, as much as you see, as you, much as you hear, and I'm kind of like Hudson. Like I, I didn't know the whole patriarchal thing was an issue, but I guess it could be seen as part of it. I mean, any kind of form of control or subjugation of anybody. I mean, it's it's all it's in pretty much just every aspect of not just American society, but just in the world in general. It's kind of the way it always been. And how do you, I, I guess the conversation would have to be is like, how do you tear down something that's always been? I wouldn't, I wouldn't even begin to try and fathom. Um, I, I come from a home where it's just like, you know, like my father, you know, he, 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 he made the bread, he went to work every day and stuff like that. But you know, my, my mom made the majority of the decisions in my house. She, Kind of like my house right now. Like I love to sit back and say what it is I like to do, but uh, personally, I I clear it with my wife first. I know most dudes will sit here and tell you all day long. It's like yeah, we have conversations about it, but no, I usually just clear it with the wife. So I I, I see like the how that how that kind of a system kind of makes it seem like you know the man is the one who's running the house and. And you know this, this is how it is, and then the woman is kind of in the background making the decisions, but never really gets the credit for anything. You know, I I guess I kind of can see that, but I've I've always just been accustomed to a woman just being the boss of a of a household, depending on you know the situation, on just about anything, quite honestly. But uh, but I know there are situations out there nowadays where women are being. I mean, we we talking about what Roe versus Wade right now with this woman getting into the Supreme Court. Like right now, you know, women women in general are being attacked, like basically being told what they can and what they can't be, you know, do with their bodies. So, I mean, I I understand what the argument is, and I'm kind of like I think I'm thinking about it like the way Hudson's talking about it, like what it's just everybody kind of seems to get together and kind of figure out like why this is all happening as a whole. But at the same time, it seems like it, it, it's, it's always made to seem like in the media or just in general conversation. Most of the time it's like, well, our problems are more important than these people problems or our problems have been happening more often than a little bit. Or like pretty much like our problem has always been the problem since we were the ones that were brought in on boats and everything else. So I I get I get the I get I get the anger and I get something like that being pointed out, but how do you how do you how do you even begin to tear something down like that? Like I don't even know like I I would I don't even know anybody who's even made an attempt to try and do it. I hear plenty of talk about it all the time, but I mean, how do you make that move? How do you, how do you, how do you attack something that's always been? You don't need, you don't even really understand where it comes from. Now I'm no scholar or anything like that. I'm pretty sure there's somebody out here who can explain to me like how it all started. I'm sure. But if you can do that, then if you can tell me how the hell it started, then you could probably tell me how the hell we could tear it down. Cause it seems like, that doesn't seem like a thing that's possible to me. It only seems like to me is like being able to work within the system, being able to make the changes that you need in order to get 
you know, your agendas across most of the time or just trying to make sure that the people that you need to have in your corner, you just need to have, you know, you, you need to have your issues addressed. And I think that's pretty much why most people are always kind of like, you know, I'm the most important here. Or, you know, we our, our problems are different from your problems. It, it it doesn't seem like like it's a selfish thing. It seems more along the lines of they're trying to figure out how to make their way through the system that it is, as opposed to trying to tear it down. Because I don't think it's possible to do. So, I agree with parts of what both of you all have said. But overall, I, I think this tweet was in poor taste on our part, and I don't agree with it. Um, I agree with you, Jason, when you say that uh, there's been a lot of women over the course of American history who have played large roles in keeping households together, accomplishing great things, and being the true mind and power behind men who then step out front and basically take credit for everything that's that's happening. So I'm definitely all the way on board with that being addressed and more women receiving the recognition for how amazing they are and the amazing things that they do. And I agree with you, Hudson, when you talk about the lack of willingness for uh, the black community, and really, I think it is fair to say more specifically black men, the lack of willingness to collaborate with other communities that are essentially experiencing the same thing. It's like the conversation we were having uh, before, Jason, where there's a lot of you know, especially, again, Black men who will talk down about Black Lives Matter because they were founded by members of the LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. community. You know, they'll say, well, they're not really a part of us. It's fine when these same types of organizations are founded by Black men and refuse to give women any positions of leadership or authority, like historically the Black Panthers and the Civil Rights Movement. But as soon as a bunch of women, especially gay women, band together, create something, all of a sudden they're agents and there's a big problem. So I agree with that. But I think when you're looking at patriarchy, patriarchy is about power, right? And it's not just the power that you are born with being a man. It's also about your ability to keep women out of systems of power and independence. Like... This system of patriarchy is so deeply ingrained into our country because of the things that historically women were not able to do. Women were not able to vote. They were not able to own property. They were not able to reach the same independence and economic status that men were able to. Black men have nothing to do with that. They had nothing to do with that historically. And frankly, they have very little to do with that now. Like they're not the ones keeping women out of these of those rooms keeping them out of those positions this is essentially a white culture problem so to put out this tweet saying well i see too many men who are latching on to this instead of trying to tear down to me i always it's always a red flag for me when i see a black person tell you that your real issue is other black people as opposed to pointing the finger at the people who are actually destroying you. And I see a lot of that, especially online. It's black people pointing fingers at black women, gay black people, black men, finding some way to say that black people are the reason why such and such is so horrible 
as opposed to actually pointing the finger at the groups who are responsible for what's going on. This system of patriarchy that is so deeply embedded in our country, it's not at the status that it's at now because of black men. It's just not. We don't have the power. We don't have the money. We don't have the control. We don't have the authority in this country to implement something like that. This is a white culture problem. So to try to point a finger at black men and say, well, how could you possibly not be doing more? Why are you trying to latch onto that? I feel like it's kind of a trash take. I don't know. Do you disagree with that, Hudson? Um, I, I think, I mean, you got a point, but here, here's where I, here's where I go with it is that we always have something that we can do. Um, when you talk about a systemic level and all of that, you know, absolutely, you know, uh, white people have been in charge of this, right? But it's not like, it's not like white people are alone in this. It's not like there's not a whole lot of other civilizations and countries and, and, and people in color and other places who don't do this too. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's almost, it would beg the question of if, if white people weren't in this country at all, what would be happening? Right. And, and we don't know, mm-hmm. we don't know for sure, but you know, whatever culture that, that we would have had overseas and anywhere would have came over here <laughs> and more than likely it would have been a patriarchal system. So here, here's the thing about it. While, while we might not have power on a systemic level to change it, you know, there's still things that we can do and we can think about individually. So let's say you and your wife get home at, at 6 p.m. Who's cooking dinner? Let's say, let's say laundry needs to be done. Who's doing that? You know, let's say, let's say y'all out looking for furniture. You know, who, who's, the, who's the salesperson going to turn to when it comes to choosing the theme for your house, the furniture, the color scheme? Are they going to look at you or are they going to look at your wife? You know, when you're going to buy a car, you're going to look at you or your wife, you know, so there, there's things all over this place that, that where we can start. So, so while, while there are systemic things, we're not helpless, totally helpless either. And, and I always draw the line where, where we ever say that we're, uh, or ever suggest that we're possibly, I know you're not suggesting we're totally helpless, but I also want to make clear to our audience that, that you know, because that's where I draw the line, is that we're not totally helpless. There's things we got to look at. Now, us three individually might be, but I'm sorry, as a whole, when I talk to a lot of other black men, as a whole, there's not a whole lot of folk like us, right? There are some. <laughs> and, and I make a conscious effort here where where you know I show my daughters hey um daddy's cooking daddy's cooking <laughs> you know daddy's doing the dishes mm-hmm. you know dad and I'm, I'm not all the way there yet because because like I gave the example of the color scheme if you're picking out furniture yeah I still let let my wife do it and I barely give any input right you know and Jason when you talk about <laughs> the wife making the decisions of the household right you know it, you know, again, that's where I falter too, where I where I let that be a woman's responsibility per se. And so I try to I try to consciously when I when I see it happening, I try to make an effort to to switch that around. And I think that's where 
where we all got to be and even on even slightly different level you know you know i you know i've been in charge in places before where i had to say over over what a person gets and what a person makes right I mean, i've come into places and come into situations where i've seen things that were wrong and i made an effort to correct it right and and can we say that we do that when we have the opportunity to do that and i would venture to say that there's still times and places where we let stuff go that we shouldn't so so you know yes on on a big scale yeah i mean that's the system that they got going but again it's not that i think that we wouldn't have that same system if we were in charge i i don't know because like i said nine times out of ten whatever country you go to still has that system in place true true jason i forgot to circle back to your question about um what can you do to try to tear that down especially something that's been in place for so long mm -hmm. you know i definitely don't have all the answers to that but i think at least part of the solution goes back to what i think it was you talking about as far as the block club where you've got to empower people who are thinking about leadership but are scared to to step forward i think there's a lot of women who are capable of being great leaders and who are capable of you know helping to change the system mm -hmm but they're they're afraid they they can't get support they're afraid that you know they won't be able to garner the same type of success that their male counterparts are mm -hmm. so as men who are comfortable seeing women in positions of leadership and authority i think it, it places the onus on us to step out a little bit more and say hey you know you're doing a great job or hey i see what you're doing you know you know keep doing it you're this is something that you're definitely capable of because I think that's a, a big part of it, getting more comfortable with seeing women in positions of power and authority and feeling confident that women can do just as great a job in those roles as a man could do. You know, I think that's part of the whole reason why it's so hard to have a female president because people look at, you know, I don't want a woman being the one with the nuclear codes. You know, what if she's on her period at that particular time when the decision needs to be made? You know, that kind of stuff. It's that type of misogyny. As opposed to this sensitive <laughs> asshole we got in office now. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'll take it. And so, and so it's that kind of stuff where, you know, if you have more men stepping up saying, I am 100% I am comfortable with having women in these leadership roles and I think they'll do just as good of a job, if you have more men saying that, I feel like it empowers more women and then, you know, slowly but surely it creates change. I think you That's make, at least one way. You bring up a good point about that one. You know, ask ourselves, you know, how many folk were willing to let Trump get by with all that misogyny, with all that, you know, they they really didn't even care that Clinton mm -hmm. had hit indiscretions. They really didn't care. You know, they didn't expect to get him out of office. They just wanted to sour the Democratic Party. But as far as what he did, they didn't care, mm -hmm. right? Now, now put put a woman in that position. Let them find out that Kamala Harris has 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 some some in in indiscretions going on, 
and how much would they yeah. would they try to sour her and act like that she was she she's gonna be the worst thing <laughs> since since before sliced yeah. bread came along when they had to bake bread themselves is the worst thing <laughs> you know I mean mm-hmm. so I mean it's already happened there were some articles about um, she was in a relationship with some guy who was a political figure in California and you saw a slew of uh, of headlines both on the left and the right basically alluding to well she slept her way to the top and it was absolute nonsense see it was absolute nonsense there we go. <laughs> there we go. and and then they say um you know she might be too ambitious i'm like all politicians are ambitious you're not going for the presidency if you're not ambitious mm. that's misogynistic as hell <laughs> it's crazy man it's crazy. Yep, there we go. Right there. You know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's the role that we can play, especially as fathers who are all raising daughters. You know, I, I definitely feels like that, that means we should be raising leaders. Now, whatever their households look like, whatever they decide to do in their personal lives, that's fine. That's, that's on them. They can, they have the freedom to choose whatever type of lifestyle they want to. But I feel like if it's fathers, we should be saying you are in control of your own destiny and there is absolutely nothing you can't do. All right. So moving on to the next topic, presidential debate. <laughs> um, it was interesting. <laughs> I do feel like this debate was the best one we've had. Out of the ones that we've seen thus far, keep it in mind that the debates we've had were an absolute shit show. But um, I want to start with that mute button. <laughs> I feel like I don't know how often they use that mute button, but I think just the threat of it uh, was enough to keep things more organized and uh, keep everybody on, on, on point a lot more. I feel like we got a lot of substance out of this debate. Heard a lot more from both candidates about their platforms and what their vision is for the country. So I'm curious, you know, do you all have any thoughts on who actually won or particular moments that stuck out for you? Jason, did you get a chance to see the debate? I didn't actually. I still hadn't had a chance to check it out. Uh, like I said, most of the stuff that I got to watch and, and hear was just kind of like commentary and stuff after how it went. Uh, I know uh, I know it was kind of uh, like what I had said about the first one when it came to Biden, where it was kind of like um, he, 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 he still kept that even keel where he didn't want to necessarily argue with this dude, and he was mostly trying to speak to the American people, which seems to be something I think I, I consider to be a little bit more presidential, and I believe that's what he's trying to exude, and I heard that he, he accomplished that pretty well. Uh, a lot of petty folk wanted him to kind of go after Trump, like Trump was kind of going after him, especially when it comes to his son and emails. And it's always got something to do with some damn email. Every time these damn elections come around, I'm so yeah. sick of damn emails. Like, look, if you ain't, if you ain't got your email shit together, clearly these emails don't make a difference because ain't nobody went to jail, ain't nobody came and arrested Hillary yet, so you can kick rocks on that mess. And I think that was the only. I think that was the only thing that I think that wasn't mentioned by Biden that I didn't necessarily agree with, 
was the fact that he didn't uh, he didn't specify on all those promises that the dude made. Like you 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 said you was gonna make this wall. You said you was gonna get rid of all these immigrants. You said you were gonna do this. You were gonna do that. And he really hasn't really accomplished the majority of the things that he said. And I think mm. I th- did he actually? I think that's questionable. Did he make points on those though? Like I, I think he, he make- was kind of. I think you was. I think it was you I was talking to where you say he kind of came after him, or at least that, that's pretty much what all of it's been when it's when it comes to uh, Biden being in office for the last. 40 some years and they keep saying that he hasn't done anything and it's like he doesn't really clap back when he says like well you guys have been in for the four or whatever and you promised all this and y'all ain't did anything either so i think if you look at the wall as a physical thing of course trump hasn't done it. Mm-hmm. but i don't really look at the wall as a physical thing and i don't think his supporters do either they look at the wall as a representation of we are going to take a hard line stance on anybody who's attempting to cross the border. And frankly, 550 kids who are quite possibly never going to be reunited with their parents shows that you have taken a hard line, I'd argue, inhumane stance towards people who were trying to cross the border that is pretty much unprecedented in our country. So did he actually build the wall? No. But did he ratchet up the intensity of our anti-immigration policy to the point that we are now doing inhumane, vicious things to people who are attempting to cross the border? Yes, he absolutely has. And I'd say that his hardline immigration supporters love it. Well, when you put it in that particular fashion, Samori, I think about when I was standing in line to vote and some of the people that I saw and made split judgments about. And then I think about you and how you just presented your thoughts on that. I'm sure about half of the people who thought that about the whole wall thing didn't think shit about what you just talked about. They wanted a wall. <laughs> they was looking for a physical fucking wall, dude. They, I understand the whole hardliners. I know you got plenty of intellectuals on the conservative side, but I don't think no. that many voted for it. I don't think you should think of this as an intellectual thing. I think you should look at it from the perspective of, at the end of the day, these people love Trump, and they're just going to roll with whatever he does. Mm -hmm. So you seem to be coming from the standpoint of, he didn't build this wall, and there are going to be people who are going to look at that as a broken promise. I'm telling you, these dumb hicks don't consider that a broken promise. They're good. <laughs> they don't. They don't feel any differently about. Well, Trump. I mean, it, I that's I'm the not case. trying to approach this from an intellectual standpoint. Well, I'm, I'm talking I'm about it just from the fact that how you spoke about it just now. Now, when you yeah. come from from that standpoint, I mean, shit. He he. If even if he didn't do any of that shit, they would still be on yeah. his side if that was the case. I mean, because they mm-hmm. everybody's fucking Trump. He he fuck, he, he basically fuck. He he basically said he could shoot a motherfucker in the middle of Fifth Avenue, and it's pretty much right, true. But- but the thing is, cruelty towards non-white people is part of Trump's brand. Yeah. So while I think he could do a lot more and get away with it than other politicians, I don't feel like he could do just anything. He needs to stay on brand and basically show that, hey, if you keep me in the White House, I will keep my foot on black and brown people. And so what he's doing at the border is an extension of that. And again, it's unprecedented. Like there are 550 kids who quite possibly we will never be able to reunite with their parents ever. Many of these kids, it has been documented that they were strung out on drugs while they were in cages. 
They were sexually abused while they were in those cages. They were uh, mentally uh, and psychologically abused while they were in there. So what's what's happening? What what has been happening these past four years as far as how we have treated families who have attempted to cross the border? It is an unprecedented level of cruelty on behalf of this administration. So by um, bringing that up, you feel wouldn't have been no point to it then. That's what you mean. So so he, it did come up. I didn't feel like um, Biden tried to come at him, but I feel like he floundered because Biden doesn't really have a leg to stand on when it comes to immigration. Yes, it's true that Trump has ratcheted up the intensity of this, right? And that these kids being stranded from their families is something that did not happen during the Obama administration. However, at the exact same time, resolving immigration and and creating a permanent plan for these people coming over the border is one of the things Obama got elected on. Mm-hmm. And not only did he not ever really address the issue, but he actually was worse than Bush, set records for deporting people back to Mexico. So you can you can argue that in a different way from Trump, he was just as brutal towards their communities. He was still using ICE to go into these communities, pull parents away from their children, and send them back to Mexico, often uh, sometimes forcing those children then to have to leave as well, because who are they going to stay with? Who's going to take care of them? So, and and Biden and and Obama were hand in hand in this. So they don't really have a leg to stand on when it comes to the whole immigration issue. That's not something Biden can be forceful about. So no, I don't believe that he really hammered him about it. He tried to, and then Trump came right back with, you had eight years, you didn't do shit. And he's right. <laughs> he's right about that. Um, Hudson, what about you? Did you get a chance to see it at all? Yeah, I saw it. And uh, you know, I think it, it was, Biden's strongest performance, of course. Um, and I, I mean, I think, I think what he hammered on, which was, which was very key is that there, there, there's no plan. There's no plan out of everything. Uh, you know, Trump is flying by the seat of his pants, executive order, this executive order that, but at the end of the day, there's no actual plan as to how to handle any situation, you know, um, uh, most specifically, the COVID, there's there's still no plan. Um, cases are spiking. And, uh, I mean, he's still got nothing. There's still nothing coming out of this. Uh, hospitals are starting to get, you know, o- overrun again in certain areas. And, and it's inevitable during this, during, this, uh, during this cold season coming up that it's about to happen again. You know, uh, we didn't go through a winter with COVID. But we're about to. And, and it's a scary thought, you know, in those, in those cool months in, in March, and you know, weather changing affects a lot of people. So in March and April, when that weather changed, you know, it, it, it surely didn't help things. And, and that's when the weather was changing for the better. Weather now is changing for the worse. So for there to be no plan still is, is just, this is unprecedented. I mean, this should go in the record books. Um, how many days a president's been in office with absolutely no plan on anything? You know, I, I mean, there's no real plan on immigration. There's no real plan on, on COVID. There's no real plan on, 
on equality. The, 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 the most I've seen come out, and that's not even a real plan, is this, is this uh, which he doesn't even mention the debate at all, which is the platinum plan. You know, doesn't mention that at all, you know, and, mm-hmm. and and it's telling for both candidates. I was disappointed about that. Well, you know, for for Trump, he can't seem too friendly towards black people. And for Biden, he can't was, he can't address immigration because he can't he can't seem too, you know, there, there's no real it's almost no real. You have to say it the exact right way and give the exact right answer, which I don't think he's capable of at the moment as far as what he wants to do. So it's better to not say anything. Um, so I was disappointed the moderator didn't have a question regarding black economic empowerment, considering all the news and the drama. This has been on CNN. This has been a big story. And I feel like if the shoe was on the other foot, if Ice Cube had created this plan and the Democrats had latched onto it and said, yeah, we're going to do some part of it, and then Biden, you know, had, had put it out, they would have asked about that at the debate, given Biden an opportunity to speak about it, and then basically made Trump try to refute it. But because the shoe was on the other foot, and it was actually Trump and the Republicans who latched onto the plan and presented it, now this media, who is basically in step with the DNC, they're just going to pretend it doesn't exist. I thought the whole thing was very disappointing. Well, it's a, it's a very telling thing of how, you know, of how both sides have their issues that they can't be too open about working towards solutions because it's going to, they feel like it's going to either tick off their base or tick off a group of voters they're trying to get. So they just stay away from the topic totally. And, and so it, it shows, it shows me yet again, how far on the back burner we are, but, but what was a, a very, um, which a lot of people applauded, which, which was a, a small victory for us is Biden admitting that there's systemic racism. So, so for him to at least say that publicly, at least gives, gives a start now, whereas we, we really, in my opinion, had none on a political spectrum, but at least now he's admitting there's something there, that there is systemic racism and that's a problem that we need to work towards. So that gave something. Um, but, you know, it, it, but we we see how far down we are on the list. I mean, they, they don't they don't want to mention us, don't want to piss off their base or who they're trying to get, get, a, get to vote for them. And, and so they just stay away from it totally. Um, yeah. yeah, it's tough. It's tough. But strongest performance by Biden now. And I think Biden took that home because, like I said, the, the, big, the biggest thing was there's no plan. And he echoed that throughout the, uh, throughout the debate. There's no plan. And, and I know I heard those words loud and clear. So I concur with you that uh, Trump was very weak on the section about COVID especially when he was like, uh, you know, some of these teachers are going to die, basically. And Biden followed that up beautifully immediately. It was like, some of these teachers are going to die? Really? That, that's, his, <laughs> that's his comment about this? That's his plan? Uh, terrible. Terrible. And it just, it, it really did hammer home, you know, like you said, I 100% agree. He doesn't have a plan regarding COVID. He doesn't have a plan for the country. He doesn't have a vision for how we're going to get out of this situation. He wants to keep shrugging his shoulders and basically pretending that it's not that big of a deal. And 
I think we're quickly approaching a point where folks are going to be sick of that. You know, it's already to the point that Democrats and people living in big cities that have been impacted, like Chicago and New York, are sick of it. But we, COVID cases are increasing across the country. And when I say across the country, I mean a whole lot of red states, a whole lot of red states where COVID had not touched. Now they are being touched. And sooner or later, then people are going to start dying. You know, it's been black communities that have been really hit, but there's a whole lot of red states with white people living just as poor and with health issues just as severe as what black people in inner cities are dealing with. And when those folks start dying, that's when they're going to start looking at Trump like, uh, okay, this is, this is absolutely unacceptable. And hopefully he's already out, out of office by then. Um, I also felt like Biden was very, very strong when they talked about corruption, which was surprising to me. You know, Trump took the opportunity to bring up his son and talk about the Russia deals and all that. And I thought Biden was going to have to fend those off as best he could. But actually, he came out swinging when he stood at the podium and said, uh, I have released 20 years of my tax returns. Trump, either release four years of your tax returns or shut up about corruption. I thought that was a haymaker. I thought that was extremely powerful because how can Trump really can't refute that? There's just no way you can sit up there and try to say, oh, I have no illegal uh, illicit dealings. I've got no uh, connections to foreign entities, but also at the same time, I refuse to release my tax returns, which every president before me has always done. It just those two things just do not compute. And so I felt like Biden really, really did a great job of refuting that, coming out swinging, and really deading that issue. I also feel like he was great on climate change. And this debate is the longest period of time I can remember a debate spending talking about climate change. I thought it was fascinating that Biden came out openly and said he is basically going to try to move the uh, country away from oil and fossil fuels. And that he also, uh, I think it was AOC who also talked about, no, it was Biden, who talked about removing subsidies from fossil fuel companies as well. That would be huge. That would be incredibly huge. That would basically kill it for a lot of companies. A lot of these companies, their profit margins basically take into account the money that they're getting from the government. If you take away those subsidies, it, it completely undercuts their reason for being in that industry to begin with. So to see him step out and basically say, this is the direction the country needs to go, this is what we're going to do, I thought that was strong. And again, he's providing a real vision for how things are going to be. Where I feel like Biden got absolutely clobbered was when they talked about um, imprisonment and the crime bill. I thought Trump demolished him during that conversation because Trump was basically like, you keep saying that you are sorry for this crime bill and that you understand the impacts that it's had, yet you and Obama had eight years to do something about it and you basically did nothing. And Biden's response was, well, we freed about, I forgot the number he said, like 3,500 people or something like that, considering how many people have been in prison and had their lives destroyed by this crime bill, that's a paltry number. And then he basically tried to say, well, we would have done more, but we um, were stopped by the Republicans. That's a bunch of bullshit. There's a whole list of executive orders that could have been passed that could have directly, seriously addressed 
the issues with imprisonment in this country and the way um, political figures pass laws specifically to prop up for-profit prisons and then buy stock in those exact same prisons and then get rich. Like you did not, in order for there to be true change, yes, you need Congress. But don't tell me that the nothing burger y'all basically dropped is because of Republican interference. It's not. It's because it was not a priority for you all. You all didn't really care. You decided to do other things. And now on some level, you're paying for it. And I got to say, this issue uh, is part of the reason I feel like Trump does have an end with black men. And he realizes that. That's why he looked in the camera during the debate and said, black people remember what you did. They have not forgotten it. And that's why a lot of them are going to vote for me. This is part of what he's talking about. And when you look at the statistics, I think it's like 12 to 15 percent of black men voted for Trump in 2016. They expect that number or Trump is rather hoping that that number is going to go up to as high as 20 percent for 2020. I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but I think you have to look at imprisonment and some of these things that Biden and the Democrats have completely messed up as part of the reason for that. It ain't all just patriarchy and misogyny. And so I, I feel like Biden was extremely weak during that particular section. But I agree with you, Hudson, overall, his best performance. And I definitely feel like he did win the debate. Well, we knew he was going to we knew he was going to falter on that crime thing. He, he never he's never been able in, in either debate or has been able to really challenge it. And, and I think, you know, while a lot of people yeah. probably did, I, I would have loved for him to clap back at, at you know, at Trump. But, you know, he, he's not a mudslinger. Trump is the much better mudslinger. And you, you get into mudslinging against Trump, he, yeah, that's where he's got you. That's an arena that he can fight. You don't fight the enemy on his turf. So, you know, the, the mudslinging, yeah, he was best mm-hmm. to keep that out of it and just – go in another direction and I think he did that well. So you know, yeah, 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 don't need to go back and forth with a guy like that. You know, he's funny. I mean, I you know, I I'm just going to say it. Trump, he's charismatic and he's funny when he does it. <laughs> you know, that I'm still thinking about yeah. that comment about the mask. He he was 200 feet away with a with a mask bigger than I've ever seen. You know, it was funny. <laughs> you know, when he said that, I was laughing. <laughs> you know, and and that's the kind of thing that's going to happen if you try to get into a. You know, he he'll play the dozens with you. Like I don't know what he'll rival anybody on the corner with right. your mama jokes. You you can't beat him. I tell you that right now. So, you know, so I think Biden did good Absolutely. on that one. Absolutely. Yeah, I think he, his demeanor, the way he's carrying himself during this debate, is exactly what he needs to do to win. I agree with you because he's not going to win, win in another way. Like Biden is charismatic and funny in his own way, but it's not vicious. Like he's, he's not funny in a I'm tearing you down type of way. He's funny in a, hey, I'm just that working guy, you know, clean, clean cut. And we just all have it a good having here to have a good time, folks. You know, he, he can't go toe to toe with the way Biden does it. So did y'all see yeah, what happened overall, in Nebraska though? Did y'all see what happened in Nebraska at that what? Trump rally? They stranded uh-uh. a lot of people at the Trump rally. So basically they had to 
So all the people that went to the Trump rally, and, and I think it was in Omaha, they had to park somewhere off site at like close to four miles away. And they were bussed into the place for the rally, right? When the rally was over, all those buses that were there that took them to the rally were suddenly gone when the rally was over. So all those people in the cold what the hell? had to had to try to try to find their way, and a lot of people had to go to the hospital. It, it, that was a crazy event, and I don't even know if Trump's even said anything about it. I like like someone else would be in charge of making sure this would happen, right? But if I'm if I'm running for president or if I'm running to get reelected, I'm gonna tell somebody, hey, make that right. Because you know, at at the point that I found out this happened, I'm gonna oh. say make that right. Talk to those people. Do what you gotta do to, to make up for this. Because he left his supporters, bro. It, it's it was thousands of people, many of whom were older adults, left stranded for hours in the freezing cold. Mm-hmm. That's. Why you stranded? Why though? Why, why were they stranded? Because they parked um, so far away from the oh, venue and were okay. bussed into the venue, and then the buses were gone. No buses showed up. So then you got police. You got the police so, roaming around trying to find people who are roaming around in the cold and picking them up, taking them back to that parking lot. <clears throat> so they had buses to bring them to it, but not to take them back to their cars. Yep. That's like a number of people had to be treated for hypothermia and other conditions. One adult was reported to be frozen cold, unable to move with an altered mental status. Yeah, ain't no he making said it up many him. attendees walked back th- walked about three miles back to the parking lot, and that officials personally transported some older attendees who were having difficulty in the cold. And experiencing chaos back to their cars. Yep. Even though Trump left at 9 p.m., the last person wasn't loaded on a bus from the rally site until 11.50 p.m. That is wild. That is wild, I think bro. At like How has Trump not talked about this yet? Yeah, I think at like 12.37 a.m. is when the police finally said, okay, I think we got everybody. Because they were trying to find people who were just walking around, just, just who were stranded out there, just, just, just losing walking. their minds. I mean, people. I mean, that's serious. When they're when they're losing their mind out there, they're close to death. They are close to death. That's one of the things. Let you know, they are about to die when they lose track of. The, they're disoriented. They're that cold. They're about to die. That that was a, a critical disaster. Wow, bro. I just... And I, I'm scrolling through his Twitter right now. I don't see where he's talked about this. I ain't going That's nowhere while I'm that far away from my car. That's crazy, bro. Yep, okay. I see where he's talked about the being at the Omaha, N- Nebraska rally. Nothing about the people he stranded. Wow, that is wild. And Jason, that is Jason, people do it all the wild, time. Bro. When we went to that Lions I game, guess so. 
we part we part far from from the Lions game. It, I don't think it was three point seven miles. No, we did. It was within walking distance. We ain't parked that far away from it. I know it yeah, wasn't, wasn't three point no seven miles, miles, but I we made it three miles. Uh, it wasn't we that parked, far. <laughs> we parked a little ways. It you know, especially we, in the we was, it was a little ways, definitely. We was in I the city. I had to take a couple of breaks. <laughs> we was especially we was somewhere we could stop, be like, hey, let's go in here real quick, get warm. <laughs> so let me yeah, get a bed real great. quick and then we can go hit the car. Yeah, but we talking about oh yeah, but we talking about Omaha where that, by the time that Trump rally was done, yeah. it's shut down. It's shut down. And in a yeah. place like Omaha, I I would guarantee you it's natural for them to possibly do something like that, especially if they're going to a bigger venue, depending on the parking, they probably are always to go to that venue, they probably always parking far away. The fact that he hasn't addressed this directly to me is just further evidence even Trump knows he's about to lose. Because if you thought you had any real chance of winning, you would have headed straight back to Omaha, went to that hospital, and shook hands with every single person there. Like, I'm so sorry this happened, but I, when I get in there, we going to make this right. You know, yada, yada, yada. You would have done something. You wouldn't have just ignored they still this. Gonna vote this is for crazy. This is crazy. With hypothermia and all, they still gonna vote for his ass. The, the crazies will vote for him, but I think the vast majority of us are done. The vast majority was like, "All right, this was interesting. <laughs> it's time to move." Well, on. I mean, Nebraska, Nebraska is a battleground state, and Omaha specifically, that district. They're hoping not to lose that district because there's three votes yep. in Nebraska. They're hoping not to lose that Omaha vote. And that and that is in jeopardy, and he just put it in more jeopardy <laughs> in Omaha. <laughs> and, messing that up, and and the thing is, it's become abundantly clear that people are motivated to vote um, this year in a way that we haven't seen in a long time. So I actually want to take this opportunity to read some statistics. So for Pete, for early voting. For people between the ages of 18 and 29, so this is young people, all right, these are the people who usually do not vote, the numbers that they are voting in right now compared to 2016 is absolutely staggering. So in Florida, in 2016, roughly 44,000 people in that age range uh, participated in early voting. This year, 258,000 people, young people in that bracket range in Florida have voted so far. In 2016 in North Carolina, 25,000 people in that age range participated in early voting. This year, 205,000 people. And these numbers are as of October 23rd. So they have increased since then. All right. In Michigan in 2016, only 7,500 people in that age bracket actually uh, bothered participating in early voting. This year, 145,000 people in that, in that age bracket had decided to participate. Now, I'm sure some of these people voted for Trump. You know, I'm, I'm not going to pretend this all went to Biden. But let's be honest, all right? Trump supporters skew older. It's just a fact. Most young people ain't jumping on the Trump bandwagon like that. These, I'd argue, 
these numbers, not only are they staggering, they are staggeringly bad for Trump. He needs people in that 40, 50, 60-year-old bracket setting records for how much they're voting. People between the ages of 18 and 29 showing out like this, it's not a good sign for him. It's just not. It's not a good sign for him at all. It's because most of them died during the corona. <laughs> and what's funny is that you think about that too and shit, he'd been in office for four years, so that's a whole new that's a high school graduating classes now all over the goddamn country. Right. You done pissed off. <laughs> that's what Republicans are actually worried about. There have been multiple Republican pollsters basically saying this fear Trump has poisoned the Republican Party with an entire generation of Americans. Mm-hmm that there's an entire generation of Americans that will essentially associate the Republican Party with misogyny, bigotry, xenophobia, and basically incompetence. (laughs) So everything we already (laughs) thought about and shit until he came out and just opened them up to it. Basically. Basically. It was a secret. So, (laughs) yeah. So interesting times, brothers. Interesting times. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, Next up, Pope Francis has elevated for the first time a black cardinal within the Catholic Church. Uh, His name is Wilton Gregory. He's the Archbishop of uh, Washington, D.C., and he was elevated a cardinal this past week. He's also actually from Chicago, born and raised, ordained as a priest, I believe, in 1973. It marks the first time in history a black person has been elevated to the role. For those who don't know, cardinals are responsible for electing the Pope, among other significant responsibilities. Wilton is known for being outspoken regarding Trump, police brutality, and creating a more welcoming environment for the LGBTQ plus community within the Catholic Church. He has also pushed for harsher treatment of sexually abusive priests, although ultimately he was unable to implement those measures. Um, One of the interesting things is that Pope Francis has elected about 60% of the cardinals who will choose the next upcoming pope. So I think I, I read about there being some concern that, you know, maybe the next pope who comes in is going to be of a completely different mindset and will maybe backtrack on some of the things that this pope has said or tried to implement. That seems highly unlikely. Um, more is much more likely that whoever is the next pope is going to be someone who's of the same mindset as Pope Francis because he has had a direct hand in choosing the people who are going to end up choosing the next Pope. So I thought this was uh, interesting and definitely a milestone in the history of the Catholic Church. Uh, Hudson, any thoughts? I I guess he's like the third good marshal of Catholics. I mean, you know, he's he's in there breaking barriers, I guess. Um, I I did think it kind of funny when I saw that he was kind of in charge of or uh, like a founder or, or developer, whatever you want to call them, of, of the uh, of one of those uh, clubs within there, you know, that, that helps to protect kids from abuse and things like that. I, I thought, oh, okay. Uh, I guess the, the Catholic 
<laughs> the Catholic guys are gonna are gonna police themselves on not abusing young boys and, <laughs> and girls. Okay, you know, <laughs> you know. I, I hope that for the best. Mm-hmm. You know, so I hope that succeeds. <laughs> Don't it? And now that he's in there, you know, maybe he could push for that to be a a huge thing with the harsher punishment. So I, you know, I like I like any stances he has on that as far as that's concerned. Um, you know, other than that, you know, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know much about the Catholic faith, um, you know, beyond that, uh, beyond that stuff about, but I have really liked seeing the, the Pope being a little bit more outspoken and, and being more, um, accepting of, of different lifestyles. I, I think that's a sign of the times. I think when when you start seeing the Catholic Church moving, you know, uh, you know, it, the Catholic Church always seemed like a last to move sort of a thing. You know, uh, the big giant that this world is, it would seem like they would be the last to move, one of the last religion being one of the last things to move in in any given direction. Uh, so it looks like they're they're going <laughs> they're going even before the Republican Party. Um, <laughs> in certain good directions here. So, you know, I'm happy to see that. Um, I'm, I'm glad to see, I, I think diversity in any in any place is good. So I'm glad to see that that we got somebody kind of breaking those ranks in there. And and I'd like to see it more. I think, what, wasn't it, um, wasn't it something with, uh, with uh, a Latino person getting getting a high position there a, a little while ago that they had never got i can't think of it now but but i love to see the diversity i don't remember I, you know what uh, let me backtrack i don't remember either so but i love to see the diversity keep it up keep it going <laughs> and let's keep moving forward and, and let's but then i hope there's no backtrack when the next pope is chosen yeah um i read in the article that I read about this, they talked about his work uh, regarding se- sexually abused, sexually abusing priests, and they had a couple of comments from one of the organizations that revolves around trying to get in touch with these victims and protect them and help them in lawsuits against the church. And they did mention, wow, they feel like the, the things Wilton attempted to do have essentially failed. Now, they do consider him to be a a better, more positive figure within the church when it comes to sexual abuse issues compared to other uh, Catholic officials, but that it's still not enough and more work needs, obviously needs to be done within the church to hold this type of people accountable. Uh, Jason, you have any thoughts? Uh it's interesting to see that the Pope is taking it upon himself to try and clean up the Catholic faith over here in the U.S. So it's good to throw in some good black faces and stuff like that, I guess. Uh, uh, it's funny that I just read that his appointment came with the resignation of uh, Donald Worrell, Cardinal of Washington, uh, because he was covering up sexual abuse scandals. So, yep. interesting. I mean, I guess that's a good move for the Catholic Church, you know. I I, I remember my my Catholic learnings and stuff as a young kid, and uh, I was lucky enough to get past all the touching phase of it, I guess. 
uh, kind of explains why that one priest used to be pissed at me all the time. Maybe that's what he wanted, and I just wasn't going. But uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Narrow escape. I mean, shit, with, 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 with the way the Catholic faith, I mean, the Catholic faith is back Trump and everybody, every other damn thing else is, I don't know. Uh, when, it, when it comes to the Catholic faith, I, I think it is most things that most of it is very hard to believe and it's it's easy to be learned when it's indoctrinated into you at an early age. But uh, as most adults and most people who have common sense have, you know, and along with all the sexual abuse stuff that's been going on, I think the Catholic faith has been in a very large struggle to regain some kind of relevance. relevance so just even a speck of respect. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I, I honestly don't know. I don't know people who are practicing Catholics anymore. Except for maybe my mother. Like, she, she she's she's unwavering, but that's that age range where you're not going to find somebody that's just going to change up what it is they do. So... The majority, of the, I think, some of these organizations and stuff like that, a lot, a lot of these moves are being made in order to revitalize. And just with the the introduction of this particular pope and some of his views and on just on like gay marriage and everything else, which is pretty much shaken. Like I, I think, I think I would have to think that with the admittance of wanting them to have civil unions would have shaken the Catholic faith. To its core. I think the way he's going about things, he seems to be trying to take the Catholic faith into the future. Uh, I guess they say, what is it? Pope Francis has now appointed almost 60% of cardinals elected who are all over yeah. the age of 80 or are under the age of 80 years old. So they'll be eligible to, I think you mentioned that they'll be all eligible to vote in the next Pope who will probably more likely be just like the one that's in there now. So yeah. if if the new move is to take, you know, the Catholic faith into this progressiveness, I think I think it's it's interesting to see how that will work out. But I think you're gonna start seeing a lot more resistance, kinda like what you saw like kinda like how you see now, like when it comes to the democratic and conservative kind of way of thinking. I think conservatives are going to start. I think you're going to start seeing a lot more anger. Not in not in the case of them choosing this black man to be the cardinal or anything like that, but just how the Catholic faith seems to be kind of moving in this liberal kind of a way. I don't know. I don't know how good that's going to be. That's going to be interesting. I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see because, honestly, I don't know much about Catholic doctrine and how the system really works. And it's going to be interesting, to, but, but what, what I do know is, like almost every other religion in this country, Catholicism is dying. Young people are not going to church. You know, people aren't going to church in general. And COVID has had a huge impact on churches across the country. It's not clear what's going to happen to these churches even once we're technically past COVID. You know, are people going to start filling up the churches again? I think that's going to be very interesting to see. And so when it comes to this 
ideology battle in the Catholic Church. I, I think I agree with you. There's going to be a lot of angry people, but I think part of the question is going to be what is more important to them? Is it important that we stick to the old ways and stay the way that it's always been? And I believe that this is the God's will and therefore we should do that. Or is it more important to say the church is dying if we don't modernize and start bringing in a more diverse contingent of people, we're not going to be able to last. We're not going to be, be able to thrive the way we have historically. You know, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what kind of dialogue comes out of all this because it is absolutely clear young people are not going to church. I'm curious. Like it, For me, it's, it's more along the lines of if, you, if you're taking it that route and where you're having to evolve the Catholic Church to match present-day attitude and being, it's not even going to be about faith anymore. It's just going to be about just about marketing, basically. Which I, I, I can't say that it hasn't always has. It, it hasn't. There's always been an aspect of marketing when it comes to anything, especially religion. But the Catholic faith, like when you talk about Catholic, they throw faith on the end of it all the time. The Catholic faith. Right. That, that, right. that actually used to mean something up until a point. And it's like, that's weird. That's going to be, that's why I say like, it's going to be interesting. Like how's, how's, like if their plan is to try and get young people back in, how much more marketing are you talking about doing as opposed to it comes to, uh, you know, teaching the faith? Because the faith is based on fucking fire and brimstone, for Christ's sake. If you read the Old Testament and shit, I mean, God was going to wipe us out. And he did it twice. (laughs) <laughs> what defines the faith has changed over time. Like there used to be a time you couldn't come into the church if you divorced. You know, mm-hmm. if a woman divorced her husband, well, that was it. You're you're a heathen. You'll be a heathen all your life, and you're going to hell. You know, and that's not the way the church operates anymore. I don't know so, if that was the Catholic is, faith. I'd had to, I'd had to I'd had to call my mama on that one. She would know that for sure. I think that I think her. that's more Christian. If I'm not thinking. I'm pretty sure it was also Catholic. Mm, I gotta look pretty that sure. one up. I gotta look that one up. Look, look that look that up. There's, but yeah, there's a lot of divorced people in what the Catholic Church when I was young. I think um I think one of the most interesting aspects of the past four years that if if Trump loses, we're gonna look to, we're gonna it's gonna be interesting to see if this actually heals is what this has done to religion. And the perception that young people have on religion, because I'd argue even before Trump got into office, there was a plummet in young people attending the church and really believing in religion, becoming Christian, becoming Catholic, things of that nature. But now with Trump and with so many hardcore Christian and Catholic leaders latching on to Trump and saying, this is the way, this is the person who this is a God. He is the ordained one. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It is really given religion a bad name and poison religion for a lot of people. A lot of people, you know, I was just talking earlier about how Republicans are afraid that Trump has poisoned the Republican party for a whole generation of Americans. Mm-hmm. 
my pastor and I'm certain other pastors are afraid that this these past four years have poisoned you know what it means to be a pastor and what it means to be a, a, a you know a conservative Christian for a whole generation of people and even more than those young people where they don't take it seriously anymore because they're like how could you really be about the poor and loving everybody and treating your neighbor a certain way but you spent four years supporting this there's nothing real about what you all are doing i think it's going to take and you know this is coming from the perspective of someone who's a deacon you know i i'm a christian i'm proud to be a christian i'm proud of my work in the church and i i believe in the christian faith and i see it as a positive thing and yet even from my perspective i can see the damage mm -hmm. Like and it it angers me to a great deal a great deal. So I think it's going to be interesting to see over these next few years if that's even something that can be repaired, or if Trump has just accelerated the decline of religion uh, in this country overall. Mm. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Thank you. Appreciate you, brothers. I appreciate all of you joining us here at SGH Man Cave. We appreciate you spending time with us today. Once again, if you are a black business owner and would like to get featured as our business of the week, please make sure to send an email to info at sjhmancave.com. Any of our listeners can also get a hold of us there as well. Remember that you can hear this and other episodes on all your major podcast platforms. We're also on YouTube at SJH Man Cave. Once you're there, please hit that subscribe button, like, and leave a comment. You can also like, share, and follow us on Facebook at SJH Podcast Family. I would like to thank my two fellow podcasters, Jason and Hudson, for keeping it real. Until next time, this is your host, Sabori, signing off. Mm. Appreciate y'all. Peace. <laughs>